Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. This morning, I'm excited to preach. It's an honor to preach. I'm ready to preach. This is the best message I've done all year, so get ready for it. Uh, I'm preaching around a thought this morning about how to take your thoughts, whether they be good, bad, dark, or ugly, or pretty and beautiful, your thoughts, and use them to change the world. The rest, all that's happening on the inside of you, why it's happening and how to actually take it and do something meaningful with it. We're gonna look at a few scriptures. I'm gonna say some stuff, I'll pray, and then we'll get into this. I'll look at five different verses. The first one is found where King Solomon says this. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. King David says this, How long, Lord, will you forget? We have a delay because we have too many screens running off our old computer. Who's believing for a new Mac computer for our church? First thing that I'm going to ask for when Pastor Benaiah gets back. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Apostle Paul, one of the heroes of the faith, said, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but if it is sin living in me, that does it. Jeremiah, my son, said this, If you knew I have a three-year-old son, he did not say this. Jeremiah the prophet said this. He has driven me away and made me walk in the darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again, all day long. He's made my skin and my flesh grow old and he has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. And Moses, the amazing leader, the one that led the biggest church in history, 2.4 million people out of Egypt, said this, and Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your people? Is this why you sent me here? I went to the king and said that you told, I said what you told me to say, but ever since that time, he has made the people suffer and you have done nothing to save them. Moses, the author in the book of Job, said this, I wish I had died in my mother's womb or died the moment I was born. These scriptures are pretty dark. These aren't the memory verses that we're teaching kids in kids' church this morning. Like, hey, kids, repeat after me. I wish I had died in my mother's womb. And then they all repeat it. These are dark, painful honest, real scripture. And we're going to make sure as a church family that we understand that life is not rainbows and butterflies, that there'll be good moments and bad moments. There'll be valleys and mountaintops. And we shouldn't be people that deny the fact that we go through things that hurt and we go through things that cause us pain and we go through things that make us doubt and give us fear. That's called being honest. 
A church that's oblivious to life is a church that's ineffective in life. Someone comes to us with their pain and we say, Jesus loves you. No, stop for a second. Allow yourself to be someone that can look and understand the Scriptures, understand that these mighty men of God, five of the biggest characters in the Bible by Jesus Himself had these moments of dark thoughts. The message this morning is called this, dark thoughts and bright ideas. People don't know what to do with negative emotions, messy emotions, messy thoughts, imperfect situations. The church often doesn't know what to do with things that aren't clean cut, that aren't ready for the video, that aren't matching the word celebration, that don't look like courage and boldness. We often don't know what to do with them. So we can come to church and we can put a mask on and a front on and make sure we lift our hands higher so everyone knows we're the best Christian in the room. And we don't know what to do with the things on the inside of us. Even very honestly, like if I was this morning, if I got up here and just cried, every single person wouldn't know what to do with the emotion. They'd be like, "Uh uh-oh, Joel and Alex be fighting. What's going on behind the scenes? Or maybe that's the Lord touching him. Or if you saw me just out in the street, maybe, maybe here's a different situation. If you saw me out in the street just crying, sitting down, you wouldn't firstly think, oh, the Lord's touching him. (laughs) We don't know what to do with negative emotions. Like what's happened? What's going on? Who punched him in the chest? Is he dying? How can I help? We don't know what to do with things like anger and anxiety and sadness and hopelessness. The church doesn't know how to respond to brokenness or depression or mourning or loneliness or panic or fear. If these very real emotions aren't dealt with, we may not enter everything that God has for us because we pretend we're fighting the real giants but deny the things, the thoughts that are going on the inside. And these amazing men were used by the Lord to pen some words that help us understand we will have some dark thoughts. We will have some moments, we'll have some seasons that feel like they're, they're crushing us. And it's not our job to be like, they're not crushing us because we're Christians. It's our job to understand that Goliath is standing in front of us. It's our job to understand that the furnace is being turned up seven times, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to understand that the season could be challenging, could look impossible, could look difficult, but our God is bigger. But we have to first start with understanding the real problem understanding, admitting that we can't do it without God. The Bible is filled with both dark thoughts and bright ideas, highs, lows, mountains, valleys, good days, bad days. This morning, I think it's important that we recognize that we'll have good days and bad days. That's okay. But let's, in God's house this morning, just be honest for a second, if that's okay. If we can't be honest here, we can't be honest anywhere. <laughs> if we have to put a front on in the house of God, we'll probably put a front on in our workplace and our families and our schools. This is a moment where we can be real as a family, but let's understand that we can deal with our dark thoughts, that we can do something with them. We don't need to hide them. We can bring them before God and then we can do what we want to do, which is move on into the promised land, move on into the revelation of God, move on into the power of His strength in our weakness. The big idea this morning before I pray is this, for us to be okay with dark thoughts, but be ready for bright ideas. We actually understand, okay, this is where I'm up to. Okay, yep, I'm gonna admit it. This is where I am, God. This is, this is how I really feel. It's 27 days in and I've failed at my New Year's resolution 27 times. <laughs> be real with the moment. 
but then be ready and expectant for God to intercede with maybe a light bulb moment, maybe a revelation that'll change everything. Let me pray for us this morning. And we'll get into this. God, we thank you that we can be honest with you. That you're not a God that is interested in helping the fake us. Interested in how we market ourselves to you and present ourselves to you. You're interested in our hearts. You're a God that wants to walk with us and know us for who we are. I pray this morning we'd be vulnerable before you. That our hearts be open before you. We not act like we have it all together if we don't. Because God, we don't. But may you meet us in our vulnerability. May you meet us in our honesty. And may you take us to places that you get the glory for. May your grace be sufficient for us. May your power work perfect in our weakness. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Thank you, Beck. You may take a seat. Let's give Beck a hand. Church, have you ever played a game that was rigged? Maybe it was, you know, attack and someone was hitting the button sneakily or removed the speaker so they could hit the button as many times as they wanted. Maybe it was a sports game and you went out onto the field and you were ready to go, but then everyone that came out clearly wasn't under 13. They all had beards and were over 45 and the game looked really rigged. You went for a job interview, but the person you were competing against was the boss's son and it was like, what's happening here? Is this, is this a little bit rigged? or you tried your very best, but the odds were just stacked against you. I am a cheater. I cheat in every game, all the time, nonstop. The rules do not apply to me, and all I want to do is win at all costs. At this camp, we're playing some games, and I'd just, I'd just be cheating. There's this game where you had these cards, and I had this card that let me kill anyone in the game. I just killed myself. I just don't play by the rules. I'm like, I'm out. I win. Is this winning? I win. The new rules are I win. If I die, I win. I just have this. Who are the competitive people in the room? Now, Curtis, if you do not put your hand up, you're lying in church. Put your hand up, boy. You are competitive. I've seen you make eight-year-old girls cry before in games. Um. But sometimes in life, it can feel like the deck is stacked against us, like someone set it up so we weren't going to be the winner. We tried our very best, but somehow we just felt disadvantage a step behind. When I was growing up, um, I thought I was good at basketball because puberty hit, I seemed tall. So my mom and dad were like, okay, Joel, with your severe ADD, you change musical instruments and sports. Every three weeks, it's time to try basketball and see how you go. I joined the Bomaderry Swamp Rats because that just speaks victory. What are we? Swamp Rats. It's not really the name of the winners. It's not very often that you hear, and the winners are Swamp Rats. Um, it's not true. The Swamp Rats are, I don't know, helping out the Ninja Turtles, um, doing stuff like that. Um, you don't often see the name in lights. Uh, and I joined this team, and I joined in preseason. There was a few games that already happened, so I got put on the lowest of the low team. I got put on with the losers. Can the losers give me a wave in this room? Who is that team? Admit it. It's okay. It's okay. God uses the foolish to shut the mouths of the wise. 
I got put on this team. There was this guy on our team. He must have been late as well. His name was Floyd. He was amazing. And then there was Eric. And then there was Ben 1 and Ben 2. And the rest of our team spent most of their time on the sidelines eating candy and whipping each other with towels. Um, that's how good they were and didn't often get involved in the game. Through flukes, luck, we started getting better. Floyd sat with us. We didn't have a coach. That's how bad we were. No one wanted to coach us. And we got better and better. And when it actually got down to it, through disqualification and injury and people leaving our grade, joining another grade, we got to the finals. Oh my gosh. Floyd, Eric, Ben 1, Ben 2, Joel, and a whole bunch of people that will remain nameless on the sidelines. I don't know how, but in 2005, we were the winners of the South Coast basketball summer season. <laughs> Swamp Rats for life. It, um, against all the odds. Imagine every montage from every movie of every team that was the underdogs becoming the winners. That's what it was like. Feel the feeling, church. Even when you're an underdog, God can still use to you. Now, the truth is, uh, none of that story is real. Well, some of it's real. Floyd was real. Our team was terrible. That was real. But the truth is, I quit the team after two games. I actually quit in the second game because we were so atrociously terrible. But it doesn't make a good story that way. And it doesn't really help the theme of the message. So I needed to take you on a journey of great victory of us holding up young Eric, who isn't a real person. And Ben 1, Ben 2 is just a way of honoring Ben on his birthday. Um, <laughs> but the truth is that uh, I don't know anything about how that season ended. I left, I washed my hands, and I left. I never went back. These losers are not for me, and I was the greatest loser of them all because I got so many fouls in the first game because I didn't know how to play basketball. All I was was tall. But the truth is that God, again and 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 again in Scripture, uses the underdogs, there's these situations where it seems like the deck is stacked against the army of God, the people of God, the man of God. But in the last moments, when it all looked hopeless, is the moment that God does what God does, which is bring the victory, which is bring the healing, which is put young Eric on a seat like it's his bar mitzvah and lift him up for the victory lap. There's something about God that is for the underdogs. There's something about God that doesn't need you to be perfect and have everything worked out and your journey be victory to victory. There's something about God that uses the dark thoughts. There's a few scriptures that I just want to run through of people that it seemed that the stack was, the deck was stacked against them and it looked like they couldn't win. And it's, it's almost like God wants that moment of tension, that moment of it's like, oh, they're not going to get it. Every montage where it's like they're hopeless and they're eating candy on the sidelines. He wants this moment so that when everyone gathers around to see the underdogs lose and God makes the decision to intervene, everyone's eyes are on him. 
Everyone's like, surely he is God, surely he is good. We have the account of Elijah competing against the prophets of another God. And they said, let fire come down and consume our offerings. The others were crying and weeping and slashing themselves and crying out to their God for fire to come down and consume. And then the moment comes where it's God's turn and he encourages his prophet to put water over the offering. That the miracle is not just that the offering was consumed. The miracle is that the deck was stacked again. It looked like it wasn't going to work. It looked like it was impossible. The story would be less good if the offering wasn't wet. Jesus didn't come as some king floating down from heaven and everyone bowed down. He came as a baby. That makes the story good. Who's had a baby before? Jesus came as a baby. Who's been a baby before? Most of us. Some of us still are. Ellie, my daughter, she's still a baby. (laughs) But the story of Peter is powerful when he got out of the boat because he sunk. Like the moment of crying out to Jesus and John says immediately Jesus grabbed him and lifted him out. That's the good stuff when it seems impossible. When David and Goliath are there and Goliath is 10 foot tall and a half breed between humans and demons, the rumours were. It's powerful because Goliath wasn't two foot tall, a tiny little dwarf person. It's powerful because he was bigger than life and everyone was scared of him. That's power. It's powerful because Moses didn't know how to speak when he got asked to lead God's people out of Egypt. It's powerful that the song and the worship broke down Jericho's walls. It's powerful that the fire was turned up seven times for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. It's powerful that it only took a couple of fish and a couple of loaves to feed 20,000 people. It's powerful that there were lions in the lion's den with Daniel, not kittens. It's powerful that it seemed stacked against them. It's powerful that Jesus on the cross was murdered and it looked like he lost, but the truth is he showed us the greatest act of love and he actually won. It's powerful that the woman with the issue of blood was sick for over a decade and was ripped off and taken advantage of by the doctors of the time. The miracle is so much sweeter when there's a story and when there's pain in it. It's the miracle of Lazarus and the miracle of Jesus showing an emotion of being so broken for his friend is powerful because Lazarus died. He had, to, he had to die. There had to be a valley in the story for it to get its powerful, its power. It's power that when uh, Solomon penned the words of Proverbs, is it 31? The Proverbs 31 woman. Is that it? Proverbs 31? Any of the women that are like, I'm the Proverbs 31 woman. It's, those words are powerful because he went through the valley of having 700 wives and 300 concubines. That he went through things and was like, this is the ideal. This is the bright idea on the other side of some dark thoughts and some bad ideas. God is actually interested in taking you through the valleys. He's actually interested in you relating to the thoughts of these scriptures I shared earlier. He's actually interested in you going through things that stack the deck, that look impossible, that look like you're on the losing team. But the truth is, it ain't over until Jesus sings. Often these amazing men and women were forced to face the impossible giants, the game not being in their favour. They were the underdogs. 
And these moments happen of dark thoughts. That's just what we're calling them for the sake of today. Where their vulnerability, where their weakness was shown before God, but in those moments, bright ideas happened. Revelation dropped. Truth dropped. The presence of God dropped. Angels appeared. Miracles happened. It looked like the offering wasn't going to be consumed, but then the fire came. It looked like they were going to be burnt in the furnace, but they walked out unscorched, not smelling of smoke. It looked like the Goliath was going to win, but then five little rocks and a little young handsome boy broke him down and brought victory for the whole army. I want this to appear on our screens this morning and write it down if you can. Following God doesn't make you delusional about pain. Following God brings you through the pain. We shouldn't be denying the hurt and the suffering that goes on in our world. We should endeavor to understand it. I know that uh, I've got a huge advantage in our society. I know that I'm a man. I don't know what it's like to be oppressed by men. I don't know what it's like to be a lady and be looked at that way and judged that way and feel uncomfortable in your workplace. I don't know what it's like. Secondly, I'm straight. So the church has never questioned anything about my eternity based on my sexual. I haven't actually experienced that pain. I haven't gone on that journey. And lastly, I'm white. So traditionally, historically across the world, because I am white, I am at an advantage. There aren't testimonies and stories of our white villages being oppressed and hurt. So I understand that I am at an advantage, but I need to understand that maybe I don't understand everyone's pain. I don't need to be delusional about the journey that people are going on and act like it doesn't matter and act like their pain isn't real. Instead, I need to understand it, but know that Jesus brings us through it. Know that Jesus meets every single person in their weakness and their vulnerability and their pain and their suffering. When the giant of cancer is standing in front of us, he meets us in those moments and leads us through it. Christianity is not weak. Christianity is strong. When life gets challenging, we see the challenges and then we face the challenges. That's the journey. Life will get difficult. Who in the room knows that it can get wild out there? There can be challenges. There can be moments where your marriage doesn't look fantastic. There can be moments when you're leading and it's just not happening. There can be moments that you're fired or you didn't get the opportunity. There's moments of your own thoughts attacking you. There's moments of deaths in your family and it's crushing you and it's a season of mourning. There can be moments there's diagnoses and conditions and and there's things around us. There's storms around us that are challenging and we need to stop and understand we're gonna have dark thoughts and dark moments when we see those challenges. It's natural, it's human, it's a part of the journey. Jesus did it so we can do it too. If Jesus is sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane before the greatest thing he'll do in his whole life, we need to understand we're gonna see some challenges too. But how we see those challenges determines what we do when we face them. Because everyone, you have to face the challenge. You can't deny it. Even running away from it is a way of facing it. But we need to understand as Christians this morning, as Jesus followers, life will get challenging. We'll see the challenges, but how we face them is so important. I want to read a scripture to you because we've looked at some dark thoughts I told you a story that was a complete lie. (laughs) My apologies. I don't know. But I want us to look at the best example of what it is to follow God, Jesus. 
And look at the moment where he's in the garden before the cross, before the resurrection, before the promise at the end. It's in this moment of pain and hurting. And Jesus has both a dark thought and a bright idea. That they're not exclusive, that thinking about what God has to do and how impossible it is and knowing that God can do it can happen in a moment. So I want us to look at Jesus in one of the two most vulnerable points in the Gospels, the other being him on the cross saying, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, that is, saying that to God. It says this, I want us to read this excerpt out of Luke. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. Okay. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Super weird. Super weird just chucking that out there. I'm going to go to the garden and hang out. Hey, disciples, pray that you won't fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing Take this cup from me. This is Jesus asking God, please don't make me do this. Please, this is the dark thought. And reading the scriptures, we don't have the tab button that separates the moment, that goes to a new paragraph and how long this second was, this moment of being like, God, if it is your will, plead, like, ah, God. He knew what was coming. <laughs> he knew it because he was taught it. He knew it because he sat in the synagogue and learned about who he was for 30 years. He learned it because he went on the journey of realizing that Isaiah was talking about him. He was 100% God, but he was 100% man. He went on the journey. And this is a moment of his humanity that we need to connect with and understand because the Bible without Jesus, God putting skin on, isn't that powerful. But when the moment happens that Jesus can save every single person that is far from him because of his sacrifice, that's the good news. That's worth celebrating. That's worth getting up in your seat and waving a hanky about. That Jesus came to earth and understood full of grace and truth and still overcame this moment. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. <laughs> we don't have what more earnestly or more, more honestly or more real or more messy. We don't have those words. So he prays, Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then he prays more earnestly. And then in his anguish, it says, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This moment where Jesus is not only the words we have there, but there would have been more of being like, God, I don't know if I can do this. God, it feels like I'm forsaken. God, I don't understand. God, I don't, this is gonna be painful. God, I don't want this, but your will be done. More of you and less of me. The famous words of John are repeated here in the heart of Jesus that your will be done. You increase and me decrease. 
me become sin, me become the Savior, and you and me change history forever. More of you, God, less of me. And he sweated blood. And then it says, when he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep and exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. I wish I could spend 16 hours talking about why Jesus is using the word temptation here. But I can't because we all have to go and celebrate Ben's birthday today. And Vicky's and everyone else's, it's happening this week. So I want us to understand something. There is this moment between Jesus' pain and Jesus getting up and doing the right thing. Jesus knowing how impossible it looked, yet still acted. Didn't feel it, but was committed to the will of his Father. I deleted a line out of this scripture that I'm gonna show you in a second. Because this part is often even missed when we're reading it. You might not have noticed that it wasn't there. And it says this, the gap that missed is an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. So it went, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then in that moment of brokenness and hurting, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. He saw the messenger, he saw what God was doing, yet he prayed more earnestly, more honestly before God and sweat like drops of blood came from him and then he stood up and he left. It said when he rose from prayer, he went back to his disciples. He didn't stay in his anguish and pain and it was probably because an angel appeared to him and strengthened him. The Bible uses a lot of different phrasings to describe this moment. In some areas, it says an angel appeared. Others, it says a messenger from God came. In others, it just says God spoke or an angel spoke or the Spirit of God came upon someone or conviction happened or revelation happened or, or just someone heard and felt and was moved by God. I said last Sunday um, that you discover your song when you hit rock bottom, that it's the moment that everything is taken away and your Job stripped back to your core. Do you discover who you actually are? Not just the memory verses that you've got in your back pocket, not just the amount of services that you've been to or the values or the acts that you have, but when you're stripped down to your core, you find out who you really are. Because when you're stripped down to your core and you're Paul and Silas in prison, praising in the inner dungeon, which historically is... It's not like Shoalhaven prison or Nara prison. Historically, it's a place where the inner would actually have sewerage, probably up to their knees in it. There was no light, there was no windows, it's the inside. And in this moment of brokenness, this moment of being at rock bottom, and they're there because they did the will of God, so it doesn't even make any sense, they still choose to lift up songs of praise. They choose who they will really be. And then it says God was there with them. Was God there before they sung the song or after the song? I don't know. 
I don't know if I would be in that situation without God responding that way. I think Paul and Silas had the Holy Spirit there with him, with them 100% and lifted up this song of praise and then miracles happen. Then bright ideas came and then what looked very, very hopeless because of that messenger, because of the Holy Spirit, because of God interceding and meeting them at rock bottom, a miracle happened. The big idea of today's sermon was simply be okay with dark thoughts and be ready for bright ideas. Whether it be Jesus or these mighty men throughout Scripture, if I can get keys up because we're going to do some worship to finish off the service this morning. All of these men had moments of brokenness, of vulnerability, of honesty with God, and therefore, for the sake of today's message, dark thoughts. It didn't disqualify them. Paul didn't say, I want to do the will of God, but I find myself not doing it. And evil wins again and again. The thing that I want to do, I don't do. And there's some sin inside of me that's taking over and making terrible decisions. And God's like, sorry, Paul, I'm not going to use you. He was a murderer before he met Jesus, but after Jesus, he still has these moments being like, I do the wrong thing again and again and again. And God's not like you're out. He's still used to write 13 books in the New Testament. One of the fathers of Christianity, the guy that writes letters to churches he's never been to before and takes over them. (laughs) A bold man, a man that raises up heroes, Timothy, Jude, these people that went on to do amazing things. He wasn't disqualified because of his dark thoughts. I want to go back through the five men that we looked at at the beginning of this morning, these really hopeless quotes, these really dark, honest moments that if you haven't had them yet, I pray you have them because when you go through the valley, you become useful. (laughs) When you go through the pain, you're actually useful to God and His church because you know what it's like to trust God when you can't see God. It's not a memory verse in Proverbs 3 verse 5, trust in the Lord. No, it's real. You fought for it. You knew He healed because you were sick and He came through. I pray that we not be afraid of the dark. We not be afraid of the giants. We're not be afraid when the deck is stacked against us and we're on the wrong basketball team, that we not run, that we stand and know that God isn't done with us. And no matter how impossible it looks, our God is a God of the impossible. We need not fear. First person we looked at was Solomon. Solomon built the temple. Solomon was a prolific writer, poet, scientist. He's credited with writing the books of Proverbs, Song of Songs, and the book of Ecclesiastes, and two Psalms. Kings 4 verse 32, 1 Kings, says he wrote 3,000 Proverbs and 1,005 songs. The same guy that wrote meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, wrote this in Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. The same guy that struggled with the meaning of life is the same guy that penned these words saying, trust in God with everything. The same guy that had that pretty dark thought, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Read Ecclesiastes, it's pretty intense. Is the same guy that stood up and 
gave us a scripture that we probably do use in kids' church. This moment of being like, no, trust God. He will make your path straight. It's not meaningless. Trust Him with everything and watch what He does. David, one of the great kings, if not the greatest king, definitely the greatest worship leader of all time. Sorry, Darlene Check. You're a close second. And that, you're tied with Darlene. So are you, Jess, and all of our other worship leaders. Who considers himself a worship leader in church? Interesting, okay. Let's get you up after the service and uh, we'll test that out. David killed Goliath. He was credited 10 times the amount of victories in war than the king that went before him. The same guy that wrote, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day, have sorrow in my heart? Wrote this in Psalm 23, verse four. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The same guy, this isn't a different guy. The same guy that's like, ah, how long will you hide your face, God? Why am I by myself? Why do I have this sorrow? Is the same guy that gets the bright idea, the truth, the revelation from God and can say, even though I go through darkness, you are right here with me. You're actually not on the mountaintop. You're only on the mountaintop if I'm on the mountaintop. You're with me. And as I walk through this thing, in the presence of my enemies, you prepare a feast for me. As I go through the pain, as I walk with people through their pain, you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me in the valley. If you need comfort this morning, trust and believe. Get the bright idea this morning. May the revelation drop that He is there to comfort you. He's there, not there to yell at you that you should know that Scripture and get yourself out of that valley faster. Stop and know that even though you go through the darkest valley, you don't need to fear because He's with you. Paul planted churches. He raised up giants of the faith. He took the gospel to new places. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament. The same guy that wrote, I do evil and I don't want to, this I keep on doing, wrote this in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You can't write 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 without first being like, God, I'm trying my best, but I'm missing it. You can't have the mountaintop testimony revelation until you go through that valley. This scripture is not powerful because it's a great memory verse for us all to remember. It's powerful because he struggled. The power is he was leading in churches that it's quite likely that before he was saved, he was a part of killing family members of the people of the churches he led. Sometimes it's hard to come back in church because last week you took someone's seat and they're upset with you. <laughs> Paul walks into churches, there's much. There's a much bigger thought. Scriptures tell us that Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Some theologians believe it was a physical thorn and some believe the thorn 
was the thought of what his past did. And when he had those interactions and when he went to those churches, when he was fighting against super apostles, when he was going into these situations that were chaotic, he had this thing that God kept with him to remind him that his grace was sufficient, that his power worked in his weakness. And church, let's not be afraid of the dark thought or the thorn or the thing playing over. Let's let it remind us that it doesn't matter how weak you are. It doesn't matter on a scale of one to 10 if you were to measure your social health or your mental health or your physical health. That if you're one, God can take you to 10. His power works perfect in your weakness. (laughs) Two more, Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote the scripture that was the most shared, bookmarked, and highlighted verse in the Bible app in 2018 in Australia. That is his achievement. You've got the newsletter this morning. I wrote in there to encourage you to um, make this year the year that you engage with the Word of God more than ever before. That our generation uh, is quite likely to be the generation that is more engaged with the Bible than any generation before us. Probably a part of the reason being that we have 1,800 translations in an app in our phone. We have 3,000, 5,000, somewhere around there, devotionals in the Bible app that can help you in your darkest moments. That even if it has things where there's an emoji that's sad and you hit it and it gives you devotions and scriptures to remind you in your sadness, in your sorrow, the goodness of God. We, we have the option to be the most engaged generation with the Word of God ever. And Jeremiah won the race in 2018 in Australia. His scripture, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, was highlighted again and again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The same guy that wrote that God had broken his bones, wrote that scripture It's like, I know the plans. He's going to prosper me. He's going to work it out. The same guy that said I have broken bones said this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's written in Lamentations. One of the most depressing books in the Bible still has this bright idea, still has this moment of being like, no, His mercies are new every morning. It doesn't matter what you're 2018 or 17 or 16 or 2018, the 27th of January at 8 a.m. was. His mercies are new. His mercies are new. And this is just a time thing, morning. His mercies are new every second. His mercies are new. Great is His faithfulness. The same guy that's like, God, you broke my bones. is like, great is your faithfulness. The same dark thought, the same journey of feeling that and going through that is the same guy, the same journey that can stand on the other side and be like, great is your faithfulness. Your plans are for me. Ooh. Don't be scared of the valley. Don't be scared. The last one is this, Moses. The same guy that penned in the book of Job 
I wish I had died in my mother's womb that's telling this story of Job. Job is one of the poetic books in the Bible. The same guy that said, when asked to go and lead God's people out of Egypt, said, God, I am not eloquent. I've been out here in the wilderness. I can't speak properly. I'm slow to speak. And God's like, no, it's okay. I'll send some people with you. We'll do this thing. And then he led 2.4 million out. And he's the same guy that wrote this in Numbers 13, verse 17 to 20. He's the same guy that stood on the edge of the promise and said these things. When Moses sent them, the 12 spies, told them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of the land, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees there? Or not, do you do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land because it was the season for the first ripe grapes. The same guy that's in these moments of being like, surely not me, God. Surely telling the story of Job, it was better to be dead before I even existed because all of this has happened to me. Is the same guy standing on the edge of the promised land being like, tell me everything about the promise God's giving me. He's not scared. He's not standing there saying 12 fly. He just wants to know. Well, how do we know that? Because he's like, bring back me some of the good grapes. Bring me back some of the grapes, the first ones, because I'm going to get the second ones and the third ones and the fourth ones when I walk into the promise. This guy that went through pain is being like, no, I want to know about the promise. I want to know about what God is doing on the other side. The big idea this morning was to be okay with dark thoughts and be ready for bright ideas. Let's be the church that goes through great challenges and pain and fights and seasons. And let's be the church that God is able to lead through them and turn what the enemy meant for bad and for wicked and to stop you. Let's let the enemy turn it for good. The same enemy that thought he won when Jesus was up there on the cross is the same enemy that as you're going through your valleys, he thinks he's winning. But the truth is God isn't done yet. I'm gonna ask this church to stand together and our band to join us on the stage. because we're gonna finish with a song this morning. So you to close your eyes right where you are. You do not have to be fake in church. Saying the right words, but your heart being far from them is not what God is interested in. In the book of Amos, God makes it clear that He's not interested in festivals and songs. Amos says that God blocks up His ears when we're singing them. The message paraphrase puts it this way, He hates all of our show. Amos tells us that instead, let there be a flood of justice. Let there be righteousness. You are not right standing with God because you've had enough good thoughts and you've memorized enough things. You're right standing with God because Jesus met you where you're at when you were sinking, when the Goliath was big, when the fire was hot. He met you and He didn't leave you there. 
this morning, the dark thoughts will come and they will go. But are we open and ready for the bright ideas, for the revelation to fall? This morning, as you're standing here, I want you to take a moment to consider the dark thoughts. To consider the fact that if you're honest with yourself, you don't know if you can break that addiction. That your family seems to be getting further away from God, not closer. That your school's getting more wicked. That mental illness is taking more lives. That it just seems so dark, so impossible. And then in the midst of our enemies, in the midst of the impossibilities, Let's raise a hallelujah. Let's raise, praise God. Before I understand, before it makes sense, God, give me this drop. Give me a bright idea. And maybe that ideal of singing those words and meaning them in your heart is a faith step. But faith is okay in church. So I just want you with your eyes closed. And if you are comfortable or uncomfortable, I want you to lift your hands right where you are as a sign of honour, of expectation, a sign of handing it over to God. And I want us to sing this song. I don't want the band to have to push you. I want you to make a choice that you're going to declare with everything that you are, that no matter how big the giant is, no matter how big the thought is, that God is bigger, that He's more faithful, that He's more good, and that He isn't done yet. Let's sing Raise a Hallelujah together. Thank you that we're on the winning team, God. As a church family, we ask that as we go out this week, you help us to remember that we have the victory. To remember no matter what the enemy throws at us, you have an ability that is easy for you to turn it for the good. And God, we just say as a church, we're not afraid. We will not be a house of fear. We know that you're a good God and you're a faithful God and you're not done with our journeys yet. And as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said, even if we go into the fire, that God could deliver us, He could help us. But even if He doesn't, we will not bow to that idol. We will not bow down to that thing. We will not be afraid. God, may we be that church. I commission us to go out this week bold and courageous, refusing to bow down to the giant or the storm, refusing to act like our God isn't good enough or big enough or faithful enough. We know that we're on the winning team. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. 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 I pray that God spoke to you this morning. If this morning you feel prompted that you need to give your life to Jesus, please come up the front after the service. See, it, see someone that looks like a Christian. They'll help you. Next Sunday, Pastor Benora and Charlie are back in the house. It's exciting. It's ready. And also, if there's any giants that you want someone to stand with you this morning, I'd be honoured to. So um, let's go out. Have an amazing rest of the day. Enjoy your public holiday. And we'll see you next Sunday. Peace out. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.